0: Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. You know, we have all of our own holidays as Jews, but when you are living in America and you are partaking of media or, you know, uh, walk past the card section, uh, you notice that there's other holidays that are out there that are being celebrated. Um, And we try to kind of keep an eye on what's happening in the larger world so that we can comment on it at Jew in the City about what's our take as Orthodox Jews on different issues. Um, in some areas we have um, you know similar ideas to some things that are going on in the rest of the world In other ways we have vastly opposing opinions. And so right now love is in the air, at least in uh, Hallmark uh, in secular America, Valentine's Day is coming up. And the topic of uh, romance and passion, I think is a really important thing to talk about in the space of Orthodox Jews, because I know for myself growing up as a non-Orthodox Jew, I saw the community from afar as sort of very modest and very rigid and probably didn't allow for um, any passion um, within a marriage, more like, you know, you have uh, certain obligations in marriage, you have a certain obligation to procreate. I sort of assumed that was what Orthodox Jews were sort of subjected to. And then once I became observant myself and I learned about um, you know, how much we have to say on these topics and um, what even requirements by Jewish law men have towards their wives, it was a very different perspective uh, than what I assumed things would be. Um, and then of course, we have the segment of the population that is just as, um, I would say repressed as I believe they were. Because as I've sort of delved deeper into the Orthodox experience, I understand that not everyone has access to all the sources and healthy perspectives on um, what our sources actually say, both in terms of philosophy and actual obligations by Jewish law. Um, and so to help us unpack this topic, um, we have an incredible woman with us today. Her name is Ellie Sheva um, She is a sex therapist. I'm gonna let Ellie Sheva uh, describe to you uh, her various trainings and sort of, um, you know, how and why she got into this space. But um, Ellie Sheva, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So give me, because I, I feel like when I read through the bios and the different letters that people have by their names, just explain to our audience, um, did you go into um, the field of mental health to be a sex therapist? Or did you know, um, did that come along further along the way? Did you start off on a different sort of path? And then you sort of specialized in this. So if you could kind of let us know, like, what is your specific education and training? And then sort of what is the trajectory of your career?
1: Sure. So actually, I started my career in education. uh, But then as as the years were going on, and I was just kind of getting to know people and myself and society, I realized that I enjoyed focusing on the people and relationships more than I did on the curriculum and transcripts. So I went back to school and my degree is actually marriage and family therapy. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Got it. Got uh, that wrong. Is, Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the term sex therapist is not a regulated term. So there's a private organization, whatever, there's like all the politics and you know professional organizations involved, but for all intents and purposes, a lot of people think of me as a sex therapist. I ended up with this subspecialty at any given point in my practice, probably 60 to 75% of my caseload will involve some, some sort of sexual issues that we're dealing with. And um, this, I call this my accidental specialty. I didn't go looking for this. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't even really say I'm so passionate about that work. I just felt like, you know, it kind of fell into my, into my hands or into my lap. And it, it just, um, it, it kind of snowballed. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do what I do. And I'm, I'm very gratified to see that there are more important, more and more people within our community joining the ranks of this profession.
0: So now just for my own edification uh, or education and maybe for our listeners, too. So you said sex therapist is not a regulated term. So when we hear that term sort of getting thrown around, are most people actually like family or couple therapists and then they and that sort of they specialize in the intimate space? And so people end up calling them that casually or is there another way, another type of training that someone might uh, come to be called a sex therapist in as well? So I could talk about this topic for a while, but basically <laughs> there, there is
1: a private organization called ASEC, the American Association of Sex uh, I don't know, Counselors and Therapists, something like that. Got it. Um, okay. But it's a private organization and, okay. um, and the, whether you can call yourself, the, anyone can hang out a shingle and say, I'm a therapist. That depends on what state you live in. Um, but okay. ethically, you should have a license and at least a master's degree in one of the five or six fields, you know, of psychology, mental health, marriage development, whatever, you know, those fields to be a therapist. Okay. There is this whole industry of coaching where a lot of people will just say, you know, I read some books that I like. I had some cool experiences. I've inspired people. And um, coaching has, has zero regulation. So anyone could be a coach. Some of the coaches are incredibly talented and helpful. Some of them, not as much, but that's true of therapists too. So that's a whole different conversation. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Okay. So as, um, as a therapist, you're dealing mostly with dysfunction. Um, and I would say, you know, anyone, I guess any doctor sees mostly unhealthy people, maybe their, their view on the world is that most people seem sickly when really, you know, the world is a large space and that people that specialize in certain areas, you know, tend to come across certain things. Like for instance, my experience at Project Mako uh, leaves me with a lot of people that have bad associations with the Orthodox community. If I use that as a gauge uh, for how all Orthodox Jews are feeling about our community, I would say uh, pretty crummy. But I understand that the people that are coming to me um, are the ones that are seeking the help that, that things didn't go well with. So, keeping that in mind that you're seeing sort of the most dysfunctional cases, um, can you um, sort of back us up sort of on what is the ideal? Like if you could give us sort of some sources or some ideas as to, um, you know, on the topic of um, relationships, romance, love, you know, anything that comes to mind about what um, sort of what um, I guess, figures we look to in the Torah or the the Gemara as our, you know, relationships to um, maybe copy, and then sort of what type of values or philosophy around love, marriage, romance, that sort of a thing.
1: Okay. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) I was trying to like organize your questions in my head. There were like three or four in there. Okay. So the first one, I want to actually just very gently correct something that you said. I don't believe that I am exposed to the most dysfunctional elements of our communities and I'll tell you Mm -hmm. why because people who are going and seeking professional help those are healthy people and so. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, healthy doesn't mean not having any problems. Healthy means mm-hmm. having perspective and wanting to wanting to work on problems. You know, everybody's got okay. everyone's going to bump into right. problems somewhere along the line. So I okay. have to have a very cushy practice. You know, generally, the people who come to me are people who have educated themselves. They know what it means to go to therapy. They believe in, and have enough hope and optimism and confidence that getting help will make a difference for them. Um, you know, so I, I don't I don't actually see my clients as, mm-hmm. as you know, being dysfunctional per se. Most of them are educated and intelligent and motivated. Um, so, again, I'm saying I have a commission practice. Like no, no I, I yeah. Think, yeah. Right, right,
0: no, I think right No, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. All right. So no. So the to even go out and get yourself help is already a step uh, in yeah. the way of it's of empowered. Getting, I, yeah. 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 I hear you. OK, that's a good yeah. point.
1: So, you know, so when we talk about like more severe dysfunction, you know, I'm actually not the best, you know, the most qualified to talk about that because most of my okay. clients do tend to be, you know, very educated and very motivated. Okay. So that's just the the first piece. Um, and um, yeah, so. One, you know, one thing I respect about your work, and you alluded to this, but I think it has to do with my work also, is that on the one hand, you have your Jew in the City brand, which is trying to spread the beauty and the love and the joy that you've encountered, you know, in, in your experiences with Judaism, particularly Orthodox Judaism. And then you have this other armed project, Machom, which is there to um, ameliorate and address some of the the issues that arise in people who are in pain in our community. So it kind of reflects that binary, that dual Approach that we're supposed to have of a surme rave ase you know, like to try to remove the things that are not working, the dysfunction, the problems, and to do good. Um, and so, um, you know, a very a very deep idea that I believe in in Torah, and I think it's just true psychologically, is that most things in this world are neither inherently evil or inherently good. Um, they, they are, you know, they're here, they're part of creation, and then we're meant to do what we do with them, we're meant to make choices, and then our choices. Affect the moral charge of what they are, and I think that's true um, of, of many things about money, about food, about language, about sex, um, even about Torah itself. Um, it's that the Gemara says that to, that Torah is, you know, sama You know, it's, it's an elixir of life and it's elixir of death, which is a funny thing to say about the Torah. but the Talmud itself mm-hmm. says that is that Torah itself can be corrupted or it can be, you know, sublimated. It's kind of like of what we do. You know, I would elixir I wouldn't of say death.
0: That. No, I, I didn't I've say met... it. The
1: Talmud says it.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I, I like that line. As a Balchua, I mean, I get, hopefully all people are always learning, but I think I've met the people that have taken the elixir of death, unfortunately. So that's that's a good thing to to keep in mind that most things in life can be spun one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, and
1: there's another, another. You know, a lot of the things I sometimes joke that some of the stuff that's written in the Gemara and the Mishnah, if somebody would write it today, they would be considered a heretic. <laughs> you know, exactly. But uh, you know, but they, the, you know, they had broad shoulders, these rabbis, and they weren't afraid to tackle, you know, complicated, difficult issues. And another thing that that it says in the Torah, in the in the Gemara, I think, is that um Can I say it in Hebrew, or should I just say everything? It's just, it's just a good
0: yeah. I mean you could you could say it and then translate it cuz yeah. I okay it says yeah. that
1: the words of Torah are wealthy in one place and poor in other places which means that anything can be taken out of context can be cherry picked to promote a particular agenda and I think that anyone who's been living within a, any religious community has heard the tragic distortion of god's word um in any religion you know and that yeah. that you know yeah anyone who is cruel or narcissistic or self-serving can distort and you know take something out of context to serve their own uh, their own values, which it's, it's, it's awful when people do that in general, but it's particularly egregious when they do it with, uh, you know, with religious uh, values. So, um, you know, so when we talk about, you, you know, you had asked if you know, this is a sex positive religion, um, you know, so I, I would, I would say it, it kind of depends how you, uh, how you, de- how you determine what sex positive means. Mm -hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, sex positive by contemporary perspective is much more permissive than it would be from a religious perspective, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? So, and you had also alluded to the notion of, you know, from your perspective as someone on the outside looking into halachic life, saying, okay, so um, sex is mainly uh, utilitarian, it's procreative, you're supposed to have babies, and we know, you know, Orthodox communities are really good at having babies, Um, and, um, you know, (laughs) and I think a lot of people are under that impression that it's just, you know, have big families, but actually, there are two separate mitzvot in the Torah that talk about um, sexuality, and well, there are actually a lot, but there are two positive. In particular, there's pru um, urvu, which is the, the mitzvah to have children, and there's also the mitzvah of ona, which is the mitzvah to for a, a, a couple to pleasure each other, and particularly a mitzvah for the, the husband to pleasure his wife, and that mm-hmm. holds true even if there's no. Uh, applicable applicability to uh, procreation so for example if the couple if if the if the wife is already pregnant if she's postmenopausal if they're on birth control you know there are a lot of times where you're not specifically trying to conceive. Um, or if if there's known infertility. You know, there's a lot of reasons why you might not be trying to conceive. And um, and most couples in a healthy, loving relationship are going to be intimate, you know, physically intimate and have sex a lot more than they're gonna have children, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so, right. um, and, and these are really two separate holy endeavors. And I think for a lot, a lot of people, even people who grow up with an Orthodox community, that's news to them. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's not just, you know, there's it's not just about making babies, it's about making love. And uh, mm-hmm. and that's very much its for value. And I think that's also where um you know, and I'm not a scholar, at all, you know, by any means, about this. But my understanding is that's where Torah um, is divergent from, let's say, Catholic ideology, which Catholicism seems to um, render marriage as a concession to human desire. But the, the ideal is to remain celibate, and I think single. Um, you know, nuns and and, uh, and and monks are you know very holy. Whereas, let's say, there right. is a a rabbi Ben Azai in in the uh, in the Mishnah who was a Tana. And he said, you know, I'm in love with Torah. I just want to learn Torah. I don't want to get married. And he was criticized by his peers. That was not considered mm-hmm. the ideal. That was not considered holy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know if I answered all your questions. But. No, that was great. No, no, that
0: was, I, I think so from a halakhic perspective, we have, you know, two points about uh, the procreation, but also the point of pleasure. And I think specifically yeah. focusing on the woman, which, um, you know, as sort of a, a progressive idea, that's something that I think that modern society is just trying to figure out how to do. And I think the fact that, um, you know, this is part of, you know, baked into the Torah itself says a lot about how it values women, how it values, you know, um, just even the act of of, uh, of sex between a couple. Um, what about um, any um, stories in the Gemara or stories from the Chumash of like couples that maybe we're supposed to look towards is are there any I mean I guess as a from um therapist that's dealing with relationships does does I I know you wear your you know sort of therapist hat and then you also wear your Jewish hat so um does the Jewish stuff come into play as you're guiding the couple I mean I know and and I guess we've spoken before that you, you don't go in there to tell them you should be doing X, Y, or Z in terms of what they should be doing. But more the question is, I guess in terms of your framework of what healthy looks like, maybe that's what I'm trying to come at in terms of what your balance of healthy looks like and how um, sort of Torah, hashkafa may um, sort of form an opinion in terms of your, your outlook. Am, am I, yeah. am I explaining that well? Like, is that, are there anything, anything else that you learned within Torah sources from um you know Adam and Chava, or um, you know uh, Yaakov's love for um, for Rachel, um, Rabbi Akiva and his wife. Are there any other things that we look to, um, sort of, to form a hashkafa, I guess, about um, what a sex, sex positive Orthodox Judaism looks like? Okay, so wow, we only have twenty eight minutes, Allison. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just asked me like four hours worth of stuff. <laughs> All right, hi. Let's get your highlights. One of one of my most annoying qualities as a therapist is that I tend to recommend, I, you know, I, I always beg my clients to read books, you know, like give them, you know, extra reading and homework and stuff. It's always optional, but I, I just kind of feel like I owe it to people. There's just a, such a, a plethora of availability out there. And when you mentioned before, you know, not everybody has access to sources. You're right. It is tragic that not everybody has natural and. Um, culturally ingrained access to sources, but the reality is that nowadays anybody with the internet does have access to some sources, and um, so I, I love to recommend books that are, uh, that, you know, represent what to me feel like a healthy depiction of what, you know, holy sexuality looks like, and as you were speaking, mm-hmm. there was one that came into my mind, um, that if, I, if with your permission, I would share with your listeners, sure. yeah. uh, marital. Uh, the book's t- titled uh, Marital Intimacy by Avraham Peretz Friedman, and um, I don't know him, uh, but he did a wonderful job collecting a lot of primary sources and also more, you know, recent sources. But specifically, primary sources, you know, um, from Tanakh, from the Medrash, from the you know the Mishnah and the Gemara, um, also Rishonim and Achronim. But um, you know, really, a, a beautiful cross section of sources. That is the kind of stuff that is is not yet currently taught enough in in uh, you know in Orthodox elementary and high schools. Um, You know, and so so very often when I'm working with an Orthodox couple and part of what they're recovering from is either the the pathological level of non-education or damaging education that they, you know, which is not, in my humble opinion, not sanctioned by Torah. That is a cultural uh, culturally evolved phenomenon uh, borrowed from Catholicism. And um, so when they're trying to heal from that and re-educate themselves and, and learn that sex is not just about don't do this, don't wear that, don't talk about this, don't think about that, there's a whole uh, you know Garden of Eden worth of pleasure that we're meant to enjoy and explore and partake of. Um, so, so that that's one of the books that I'll recommend. but at, you know to answer your question as to what, uh, to what extent I involve uh, religious theory, philosophy, and practice um, with my clients, um, even when I'm working with Orthodox clients, I do need to be very careful because they're com- coming to me as a clinician. They're not coming to yeah. me as, as a rabbi or a rabbitton or a college teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, very often, we'll kind of lay that out on the table, and I'll say, "Listen, mm-hmm. you know, we're part of similar communities, and you know, we may or may not believe the same things. Um, but you let me know. You know, my job as a therapist is to collaborate with you on your terms, and to understand, you know, where you're at, what's important to you, what are your values, what are your needs, what are your beliefs, and what's going to play in here, and be a very non-judgmental, impartial presence in your life." Um, mm-hmm. One of you asked about Torah sources. So there are so many, um, you know, one of the uh, one of the one of the sources that i like to give is very often when when couples have a desired discrepancy, you know, a difference in, you know, who uh, in sexual appetite um, and libido. So um, there's a, a, I think it's in Parshat Vayishlach, when Yaakov is sending a gift to Aesop and he sends all these different animals, like a, a cube second worth of different animal species, like numbers and types, and it's like, who cares? Like he just sent him a lot of valuable animals, it's really nice, you know? Um, and Rashi brings the Gemara that says that the reason that it lists all the different types of male and female animals is to let us know the ratio, as a metaphor of ratio of different species meeting different frequencies of intercourse, Um, which hints to the notion that um, the the Torah is not going to prescribe very much about our sexual relationships. Now, I know to anyone who knows about the Nidilas, that might sound funny because it's like, no, the Torah very much prescribes a lot about (laughs) our sexual relationships. Um, But in terms of pleasure, in terms of frequency, there is actually a pretty wide margin as far as a couple's uh, autonomy to communicate and collaborate and figure out what's going to work for both of them as a couple. Um, which is, you know, like you said, it's a progressive idea. It's not one mm-hmm. party's job to service the other. It's we're supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, we're supposed to come together. Not Not just about a soul or an intellectual connection, but it's a physical connection. It's a very physical relationship, unapologetically so. Um, and mm-hmm. it's built into the Genesis narrative. It's not good for a person to be alone. They start out in the Garden of Eden in the nude. No shame. Literally says that straight out in the verses. <laughs> Um, it says that, um, you know, when, when it, and very often, so interesting, I pointed this out to my kids that when it says in throughout the Genesis, the whole the book of Genesis, it built will very often say, so, um, this man and this woman, um, had sex and then she got pregnant and then they had a baby. It's like. You know, after the first couple of rounds, we know the deal, you know, right, right. it's like there's no immaculate conception in our tradition, right. you know, um, but I feel like the Torah is kind of letting us know that these are significant elements of the relationship. It's not just, you know, a hechsher, you know, something that has to get done in order to, you know, there's, there's inherent holiness mm-hmm. and, um, and pleasure and beauty in that, um, you know, t- just touching on this idea of sex positivity, because it's so incredibly sensitive and complicated in today's society, you know, there's Torah which, and within Torah itself, there's 70 facets, and I would say probably another 700, you know, sub-facets. There's the primary sources and the Torah, to not give us a nice amount of of sex-positive content, but there's also a lot of stuff that doesn't feel so comfortable to the contemporary mind. And, um, you know, many traditions... You know, so there is sex positivity within marriage, but we, the Judaism, like most religions, does frown on premarital sex, on extramarital sex, on um, on any kind of aggressive, non-consensual, violent sex, incestuous, hookup culture. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, some of that stuff is considered egregious even by contemporary secular standards. But there is a, a you know, a very strong liberalization of sexuality that has taken place, I think, probably starting in the 1960s, at least an hour right. round of it, you know. Um, and I know that's outside of the scope. And also, I, sh- I also just feel like I need to say this, I hope it's okay. It's a very heteronormative um, sex right paradigm. Sorry. And that's a- another thing that many, many people in our communities are, uh, are struggling with. And so, you know, I- and I know that's outside of the scope of the purview of what we're talking about today in terms of specific sources, but I just feel like it's, it's important to acknowledge and, uh, you know, and feel the reality of those members of our communities. Um, I think contemporary, you know, organized religion in general is kind of struggling with the issue of how to address the needs of certain members, including LGBTQ members of, you know, feeling uh, identifying members of our community. So, you know, yeah, to yeah. you know, sex positivity is a very relative and complex and layered um, notion. And I think as you know, language and culture continue or continue to evolve at record speed. Um, you know, we're, we're we're challenged. All of us are challenged, but particularly those of us who are in religious communities are challenged to hold space for the very human realities and experiences that people are having, um, and also, you know, to figure out what God actually wants of us based on the, you know, the Torah and the tradition and the sources that we have, you know, some of which are, you know, offer more flexibility than others.
0: Um, I appreciate you saying that. So now that we've talked about that it's X positive within uh, certain parameters in certain (laughs) ways. uh, how do we give over this message to our children? Um, You know, there's probably a range of opinions about um, when to have the talk with a child, different communities do different things, different families do different things. Uh, We spoke about, you said, you know, how um, sources outside of Judaism um, sort of got into our community to give over a negative or a guilt-ridden perspective to sex or, you know, um, something that's very utilitarian as opposed to love and passion and pleasure. Um, what are some tips? Um, and now we're actually coming to the end of the interview. Now, what are oh, wow. some tips? Uh, yeah, what are some tips that our um, our listeners, as parents, could do to um, promote to their children an environment where they can ask questions, they can um, I don't know get a, a healthy without obviously getting too much information about mom and dad, but sort of be raised in a, a home where there's um, healthy I don't know understanding about sexuality. And uh, an openness to ask questions or be informed.
1: Okay, so to my knowledge, and again, not a rabbi, but to my knowledge, the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, and the other, uh, you know, texts. That people tend to see as the classic texts for Jewish law do not tell us to have one big talk with our children at a particular point, whether that's puberty or later or earlier. Um, my humble opinion as a therapist and as a Jew and as a mom um, is that it should never be just one talk. You know, things that are important to us, you know, it's not like we wait till our kids borrow about mitzvah to say, oh, by the way, we believe in God. Okay, this is an important talk. Make sure you stick with that, right? If we don't, if we want our kids to have self-esteem, we don't want time in the course of their childhood to say, hey, sweetie, you have a lot of potential. Know that, okay? Now, go along then you know <laughs> you know net, things that are really important to us we show our children by offering them time and time again different iterations and permutations of how they apply and the chumash the Tanakh is chock full of opportunities to offer this right that if you if you just go through regular parsha regular shot, um i'd love to look at Shir hashirim you know it says that all of the books are holy. Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, is called Holy of Holies, right? The uh, the the um, the Kodesh Kedashim, the Holy of Holies, in the actual temple in the Beit Hamikdash, was called Chadar Hamitocha B'hechal. It was called the bedroom. If when they entered the the Keruvim, the cherubs that were atop the Aron, the, which was the holiest place in the whole world, right, in the whole Beit Hamikdash, they were copulating. They were fornicating. You know, they were embraced, not just embraced. They were having sex um, to the point that it was said, like, "Oh, Jews have pornography in the Hechal." No, Jews have have intimacy in the Hechal. So. Um, there are, there are so many, you know, starting with, let's say a book like Marital Intimacy, there are so many beautiful shirim on, um, on, on sexuality. There's a story in the Gemara. I think it was Kahana and Rav. Um, if I'm, it might, it definitely was Kahana and Rav. I don't remember yeah. who it was. This. It was. Yes. I so so yeah. uh, Rav was, the, was the teacher and Kahana was the student, correct?
0: Mm-hmm. So, um,
1: so Kahana was, was, uh, you know, was, <laughs> he was lurking <laughs> in the bedroom and, uh, and watching uh, and watching Rav uh, have sex with his wife. And um, he was discovered and he says, get out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> he says, well, I need to learn, you know, how am I going to learn? So I think, you know, it's a fascinating piece of Gemara. And again, you couldn't really write that today. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but I think the powerful takeaway of an Agatha like that, of a story like that, is that people want to know stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're going to go about learning it however they can, and so if we don't teach our children healthy, holy perspectives on, uh, on relationships, on sexuality, on understanding their own developing bodies, you know, over the course of their lifetime, you know, and I believe that it's many, many, you know, dozens of conversations, you know, prompted by, you know, different things that come up along the way, um, then they're going to learn from what I think are three primary sources, um, peers, porn, or predators. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah. I, I don't mean that to be cynical or or fear mongering. I just you know in my practice I see that to be the case. And and I don't think that that's a function of dysfunction. I think it's a function of uh, of society as we know it. Um, you know. And so a lot of people will say, well, you know, I I heard from my friends and you know on the on the school bus and I'm okay. Maybe you know. <laughs> um, you know. So but I, I think Shir Shirem is a great place to start because it is such an incredibly passionate um, and explicit piece of, of very holy romantic, uh, sexual writing. And, um, you know, that's a good place to start. And, you know, lots of other places in in the Chumash, you know, and in in other values. I also think that um, it's important for parents to model love, not eroticism, but love between themselves. Uh, You know, people sometimes say that they don't want to touch in front of their children, whatever that's a matter of, you know, personal preference. But I think that especially since children are going to almost inevitably see see their parents having a little bit of tension or bickering or fighting, you know, depending on what's going on in a particular house, they should also see their parents you know, smiling and flirting and showing a lot of appreciation, um, and, and respect for each other and, and narrating it saying, like, aren't mm-hmm. we so grateful to Abba for doing this? Like, don't you have the world's mm-hmm. best mommy for, you know, like
0: that, that, you know, that sort of modeling. So you teach your children. I mean, that obviously makes sense. Yeah. I would say that, you know, so many of these things are, you know, clear ways I think of, of, Raising children in a healthy way, having the open communication where there's ongoing conversations about any topic that's on the child's mind, whether it's a Jewish subject or you know something about you know their social life or you know sex as a topic, and then you know modeling the behavior that you want them to see. Um, and I guess right, different communities will have different standards about how um, if they don't touch it all or if they have some minimal amount of affection in front of the children, but that the children should be able to sense that there's love in the home. Um, and that the parents um, have this deep connection with one another. Um, we are out of time, I guess we did not, uh, we were not able to conquer this entire topic, but uh, let our listeners know uh, where they can hear more about you because you have an online presence, you have a private practice. So uh, let us hear um, what, what we can do next uh, now that we've uh, you know, gotten uh, the, the intro.
1: Okay, sure, thank you. Okay, so most of, my, most of my content is available on ellyshevelist.com, I have a blog there. Um, probably most of the articles are on sexuality I have a little over hundred articles. I also have digital courses. One of them pertinent to what we're talking about is called sacred, not secret, a religious family's guide to healthy, holy sex education. So it's really like a play-by-play different ages and scenarios that come up and a lot more sources to talk about. Um, that was, you know, sort of a really important project to, to me. Um, I also have a book, it's called find your horizon of healthy thinking. The book is G rated. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess like I'm on Instagram as well, but probably most of my, you know, substantive content could be found on the website and the the digital courses.
0: And contact info for if they'd like to uh, contact you as a therapist as well.
1: Oh, yeah, that would be there too. I mean, my practice is pretty full at the moment, but it doesn't hurt. Got it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, um, I mean, really, I think, you know, getting this information out there in um, an appropriate way, but also in a way that people have the access to be able to, Help their children grow up in a healthy way. As I look at again, putting out the positive and also confronting the negative, um, people making changes within the community and tr- trying to find big ways to, you know, shift things in homes that are not going as well as they could be. Um, it's really a service to, you know, the the Jewish people. So thank you so much for for all that you're doing. Thank you too. Okay, thanks so much, and thanks for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye bye.